It's not like you say, when you're growing up, there are no Disney stories about the prince, the princess, and the prince's girlfriend living together in the castle. Like, no, that's not a thing. But learning to be open got me to this place, and it took a long time. And when I think about her not being with us, I like my heart breaks because she's just part of our our world and our our home. So in the morning when we come down and have breakfast together and I say, good morning, family, I, I mean that. Like, this is my family. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 304. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a wonderful conversation with Natalie. Natalie has been exploring non-monogamy for about 25 years in different forms. However, she's been poly for the last 12 years. We have a powerful conversation with her about so many things, especially around her self-discovery and personal growth. Yeah, I think this is, as Emma said, a beautiful conversation and a ton of gratitude to Natalie and and her husband and partners for, and and metamors yes. and everybody for their support in making this conversation possible and just again it's it's a journey i think that is unique in its own ways but also follows a trajectory that i think is also incredibly relatable to many people it's putting a toe in pulling the toe out there's an infidelity, then there's some swinging, then there's some bigger mm-hmm. decisions, there's some bigger shifts, and then there's polyamory. And now, yeah, they've landed in a place of cohabitating with another partner. And so there's there's a lot here. And just, <laughs> a, again, a ton of gratitude to Natalie. And also, if this isn't enough for you, Natalie also writes on Medium. She sort of chronicles her her personal journey and the journey along the way here. And so please check out her work on Medium. Links are in the podcast player show notes. It is fantastic writing. Again, please go check it out. And we hope you enjoy this conversation today with Natalie. And we hope it's not our last one. Yes, for sure. For anyone who's a premium subscription, we're going to jump into the interview with Natalie now. And for anyone else, we're going to go through a couple of announcements. First up, if you're not familiar with a premium subscription, it's a way to skip these announcements up front, jump right into the interview. But don't worry, you still get important dates in the outro. Uh, to sign up, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, scroll down on the homepage, and you'll find links there. Next up, an exciting reminder, we've got our virtual meet and greets are coming back. We took a little bit of a summer hiatus to work on our tans in the shade. <laughs> we don't. We don't. That was, that was, we yeah. took a summer hiatus, but not because we got tan. <laughs> Emma's a redhead. She just goes between burned and white and back and forth. That is correct. So, nevertheless, we did take a hiatus, but we're back. So September twentieth is our next virtual meet and greet. These are an awesome way to meet other people all over the world who are interested in exploring, maybe been doing it for 20 years or maybe just been doing it for 20 hours. We've had people from all ends of the spectrum join us and we love these events. We ask 
questions to uh, stimulate conversation, to spur conversation. And then we send you into small breakout rooms to talk about them. We scramble the rooms. We do it again and again and again and again for about two hours. And at the end of it, you leave with a whole bunch of new people that you didn't know you could be friends with. Yes. To sign up, go to our website, again, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the events tab. You can sign up there. While you're also on our website, you can go over and check out the community tab. You hear us talk about it every week, but we have a community full of 300 incredible people, and we would love to have you come check it out and join us. To join, it's $5 a month, and you get access to an online, vibrant community, plus monthly Q&A calls, a men's group call, a women's group call, all part of the community. And to be clear... The community and the virtual meet and greet are not one and the same. They are separate. They are separate. But also a lot of the people who are in the community, they got their start on the virtual meet and greets. And a lot of them in the community join the virtual meet and greets. Right. So it's a good way to get yourself a little taste tester. Yes. Like when you're at the bar and they, you're like, I want to try that one. They just put a little dollop in the... A, l- a little sip. A little sip. Yeah. A shooter. <laughs> anyway, Those, those the, can be dangerous. They can be. They're gateway. a lot of them. That's right. <laughs> they sneak up on you. They do. <laughs> Anyway, the other thing we want to tell you about the virtual community is if you are looking for maybe a little more in-depth, a little more intimate support, we've also started doing weekly support groups. These are peer support groups of about 10 people. I've been running a men's group since October of last year. Emma's been running a women's group since June of this year. And we are looking to start another cohort of the weekly men's group and a weekly gender-inclusive group. And these are spaces There is no topic. There is nothing other than you and a group of people who care deeply about one another showing up and supporting each other. These uh, community, or I'm sorry, these weekly support groups are part of our virtual community that we were just talking about, but they are an additional level, an additional layer. And so we just wanted to make you all aware. An additional cost. An additional cost. So we just wanted to make you all aware that if you are looking for, again, community support, you don't want to be alone Uh, out there in the world trying to figure this out, that's another option for you. Yes. And last but not least, our favorite way to get tested for STIs is stdcheck.com. I got slower. That's what we've been doing all summer. We weren't getting tan. I was practicing saying that slower. You were practicing saying (laughs) that. And we were doing a tour of all of the the blood work labs in California to test them out as... That would be a pretty extensive tour. So we're familiar with (laughs) STD check. It's actually the service that Emma and I have used for years to get tested for STIs. I made up that whole thing about touring all all of the labs here. But it is super fast, it is easy, and it's affordable. When you use the links on our website, you save $10, which brings the cost of a 10-panel test down to $129. It also helps support the show financially, which we are eternally grateful so we can show up here every week and keep doing this. It means a lot to us. It is a fantastic service. You go in one day, it, it takes like two minutes to sign up, it takes about seven minutes to get your blood drawn, and it takes about 24 to 48 hours to get your results. And then you can be out there doing whatever you want to do as long as you tell everybody. Share your results. Share your results. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, I said this already, but a quick reminder to reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find out all the information about how to reach us on the Contact Us page on our website. And now, got anything else? The moment you've all been waiting for. Let's go and talk with Natalie. 
Welcome to the podcast, Natalie. We're grateful you're here today and spending Saturday together, Saturday morning, I guess. Um, And we're just so grateful that you're here. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. And to maybe just get us started, would you mind just introducing yourself at whatever level you're comfortable and we'll, we'll go from there. I would say that uh, I have been in some kind of form of non-monogamy for at least 25 years. And over time, for me, that has transitioned primarily more into polyamory about 12 years ago. I like to write about my poly life um, because I, I think, sort of like you, feel like people need to know the goodness and how just sort of regular people, normal people, normalizing Mm non-monogamy can do this when you might not have even considered it or knew it was around. Um, And it is just opened up my life in ways that I would not have anticipated. So I share that uh, sometimes presenting workshops at poly and kink events or poly meetups. Um, but I definitely like to write about it in a very approachable way. I love that. And it's also a great way to process, I imagine. Yes. So (laughs) there's definitely the editing process to get rid of a lot of the processing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Turn it in from like my raw journal to something that you're okay putting on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. That people would actually want to read. Right. (laughs) Right. right. Well, and, and I know we'll give you a little bit more time to talk about it later, but just for anybody up front here where people can find you where? Primarily, um, all of my social media directs people to my Medium site, mm-hmm. where I am at Natalie Davis Adventures, and that is the profile name that I use yep. on Instagram. That's my Gmail account, so that's the best way to find me. And I have probably over 20 stories up on Medium, and uh, I'm getting a lot of good engagement, which is exciting and makes me think that people are even more interested in polyamory. Even the people are like, why the heck would you do this kind of thing? I think that's good to get the conversation going. Totally. And, and I think you said you would, you wrote a lot or you write a lot under polyamory today or for their sort of, uh, I guess it's like a publication within medium, correct? Yes. Um, I've found that polyamory today has the most followers and the most breadth of stories. So I tend to write for them. I've also written for monogamish and um, discovering polyamory. But if you just look up yeah. Natalie Davis Adventures, you'll find me. Totally. And just a quick plug, we had we had Rachel Hope, who is the, I guess, the editor-in-chief, in I don't know how, how yes. what you call it, for, <laughs> for polyamory today. We had her on episode 150. So if anybody's interested in... in Whoa, did you just back. pull that out of your butt? Nope. I mean, yep, I did. It's a Rolodex up here. Impressed that you remember that number. Yep, I remember I, I, all of them. <laughs> I did see that after you all had interviewed her that she wrote a piece on Medium mm-hmm. um, about you. So that was that was cool how it's like very meta, like you interview her, she interviews you and that's great. Yeah. We love the, we love collaborating with other content creators. It's, I don't know. It's one of my favorite parts about doing this. So yeah. Well, all right. So how about we go back in time to where, where did you said it's been over 20 years since now monogamy has been something you've actively been doing, but where did it, where did it first enter your realm of knowing? Well, 
I would say maybe similar to you guys. I have been with my primary partner since college and we were monogamous for many years. And in the course of our marriage, it was something that he brought up. I would say it it happened sort of organically with some neighbors. What I would say is stepping toes a little bit in. We had these neighbors years ago that would invite us over to their hot tub. I would say this was like at least 25 years ago. And they said, oh, well, you shouldn't wear suits in the hot tub because the detergents in the suit are not good for the hot tub. Uh, And it was at night and we were outside and we're like, that's fine. We don't need to wear suits. So we would go over and talk to them about, you know, neighborhood things like whether we should put a sidewalk in on the street or what are the best schools and just like suburban stuff like that. Um, And maybe have a glass of wine and be in the hot tub. And one day we ended up inside in their dark living room, just chatting and like in our towels and towels came off and there was a little bit of something, maybe some kissing. Like this was the first time we'd ever done anything like this before we had kids. They had kids. This was before we had a kid and we were thinking of having one. So we're like, you know, we're not going to do anything because we're... <laughs> and be trying to get pregnant and stuff. And we walked the two houses back to our house afterwards, my husband and I processing and go, well, what did you think of that? And I was like, you know, it didn't wig me out or anything. I mean, I hadn't kissed another man in, I don't know, like 15 years or something. Um, and he's like, yeah, would you want to do that again? And I was like, maybe not necessarily with them, but I don't know, we could talk about it. And then we had a kid and a few years later we started, (laughs) my husband, uh, told me that he knew what he wanted for his birthday. (laughs) This was, hmm, I'd say about 20, 22 years ago. Uh, and I was like, Oh, that's, that's great. Like I always worry about what to get him for his birthday. So he sat me in front of the computer and he said, okay, I want you to look at this website, um, and just read all of it through. And then we can talk about it. And I was like, okay, this was back in the day where we sort of shared a computer. So I'm sitting at this website. Here I had like one computer in the living room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I'm like sitting at the computer and I'm reading through this website and it's like, okay, you know, once you join, we'll give you the address and we have rooms for this and there's a disco dance party and you bring your own beer and consent is important. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And I read further and, uh, it was a a lifestyle club, a swing club. I didn't even know these things existed. I maybe heard about them in movies. Uh, so that's sort of how it started. Uh, and I was like, right. I'll try it. And we had never hadn't slept with any other people since we'd been together since college. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it started, or at least I hadn't slept with anyone. Uh, and we started kind of exploring the swinger scene a bit, but then we had a kid. And so we weren't in it too much because of time constraints and logistics. So we sort of dipped in and out of the swinger scene and then, well, but that's a, that's a big, I mean, I would just offer, that's a big transition, right? I know you just sort of like glaze over like, oh, well, yeah, you know, we just got, got naked in the hot tub, made out a little bit. And then we know we're swingers. Like that's a, that's, I would just want to ad- acknowledge for a lot of people that that's a big, that's a big deal. 
And something I learned about myself was it wasn't as huge a deal as I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, and I had been with my husband and monogamous at that point since college, like 15 years. And, but when we finally did, you know, in a swinger club, a lot of time you, you link up two people with Mm -hmm. two other people. It's very couple centric. And in one of the swinger clubs, when we, we did that and you're in one bed kind of side by side. So my husband is there kind of keeping one eye on me, you know, making sure everything's, you know, okay. And I'm having sex with one half of the other partner and he's having sex with the other half of the other partner. And weirdly it was not weird. (laughs) And I'm not sure why. I think there's something in me that can separate Mm -hmm. the sex part from the love and relationship part. Like that was not so hard. I'm maybe not an overly romantic Harlequin romance type of person, Mm -hmm. maybe. Uh, But I discovered that, hey, I could do this. Uh, I could have physical pleasure. I could certainly like the person I'm with, but it's not like I want to run away with them forever because we had sex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that made the swinging part so much easier because I think that can be a huge jealousy trigger, uh, insecurity trigger when you're intimate with someone who is not your primary partner, like all of these things going on, like, what does that mean to our relationship? But, um, I did not feel those things. Um, and so that made me think, oh, well, I can still have the strong loving relationship with my husband and be sexually intimate with him and also have sex with other people, even people I just met, which sort of blew my mind when I thought about it afterwards how can I do this? Like, this is not anything I was raised to understand or to knew that it, know that it was acceptable or available. So when we started swinging and the first time we actually had sex side by side in the same bed with another couple, uh, I realized afterwards that I was not feeling insecurity or jealousy or feeling threatened when my husband is having sex with a person he just met that night right next to me, an attractive woman. And, and I don't know why that was. Um, but it made me realize that, okay, this is a thing I can do that will not turn my world completely upside down. And I also think that that's, many times a natural way for monogamous couples to start into non-monogamy is that you are exploring it with your trusted Mm -hmm. partner, um, physically in the same room. A lot of times, um, you feel that they kind of have an eye on you a little bit. I mean, later on, I sort of moved away from that dynamic, but at the beginning it does make you feel like secure and your partner is present and it's something that you are doing together as a couple. So it's not completely Mm -hmm. separated. So I don't know if that was part of it. And also I think it's just part of me that I don't overly romanticize sex. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he's having sex with someone else and I'm having sex with someone else doesn't mean we were not meant to be together. Our relationship is over. Um, you know, 
having more intimate partners mean there's something wrong with your relationship that my brain just did not go there. And it's not that I was raised in a way that non-monogamy was ever discussed. I didn't know it was an option. I was raised in a very suburban two parent dog sibling car in the garage kind of middle-class family and that we didn't really talk about sex. It wasn't, you know, overly oppressive, but this is nothing I'd ever heard of until, you know, 20, 25 years ago that this kind of relationship dynamic even existed. When it was first brought up to me and I looked at that website, I basically said to my husband, (laughs) you want us to drive out in the middle of nowhere to some club and have sex with strangers? (laughs) This is what you want to do for your birthday? Really? I just, I was like, oh, well, he's like, well, you know, he knows how to sort of soft pedal it and how my brain takes a little while to, to catch up with these kinds of things. Uh, calls, kind of calls it my arc. First, he'll introduce something that is outside of my narrow path of experience. And I'll say, what in the world are you talking about? And then he'll give it a little time. And I'm like, well, let me think about it. Let me look into it okay, we can, we can try this and see how it goes. And then, oh, wow, I guess that is something I, I like and would think more about. And yeah, I would, I would do that again. And then the next part of the arc is, well, why haven't we been doing this all the time? And non-monogamy was sort of an arc like that for me. And it took a while for each of the phases and having a communicative, supportive partner who was patient and realized that this was a big ask. And I came out the other side thinking, this is great. And I want to do this and not go back to what we did. Totally. I, I love that you revisited that piece because my question was actually, my next question was actually going to be sort of around the the idea that it sound it sounded like initially that your husband like was like here look at this website and then the next day you're like off having sex at a at a swingers club and <laughs> and I think what I the reason I wanted to revisit that is because for one it's sort of to caution maybe people who think that all you have to if you're interested in this you just wait till your birthday you find a club <laughs> you ask for it and you shall receive and and I I I know for sure that that's not always the trajectory or that's rarely the trajectory. It, well, sometimes it works and rarely a lot of times it rarely <laughs> the trajectory but could work but I'm curious like to, to expand a little bit on the the path that you took it sounds like you he showed you the website and then you had time to process and it and how, how did that look because to say well my very first experience that we showed up at a, a swinging club we had sex with other people and that's that is also sort of an anomaly or can be an anomaly that I, I did fast forward sort of quickly and there are a couple points that i should flesh out here i would say about 6 to 8 months before that proposal my husband had an affair and that was very rough and we got through that with a lot of talking, et cetera. And so when he made that proposal, I knew that there was a part of him that needed something more outside of our relationship. And the more I read, the more I realized that it's not uncommon for relationships to open up in a non-ethical way because we are not raised at least 
my generation necessarily to know how to broach the subject, to even know that that's an option. And the fact that we, yeah, I cannot stress how hard that was. I'd been together with my husband since Mm -hmm. college. Um, but we loved each other and we wanted to figure things out. And when he proposed this in my head was, well, he is proposing something that we do together. He's proposing a way to explore these wants and needs that he has and including me, the person that he loves and likes being intimate with to see if we can take this step together. Uh, so I recognized all of that. So I don't mean to say how that this was an easy step. And I just want to be honest with the listeners that this is a process and this is not always easy. And it's hard for me still to talk about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Even though at this point it was many years ago because I don't think I was not raised with what is the Mm -hmm. option? You know, when your partner is unfaithful, you get a divorce. Like that's all you do. That's the only self-respecting thing that you do. Um, And I was raised by a feminist father and mother. Um, So I struggled with that and tried to give myself some grace Mm -hmm. that it was okay to try to work through it. I think that's huge because, right, exactly as you said, right, everybody says, well, somebody cheats, you throw them to the curb because they're a horrible person or they're just unethical. And that the hard, probably I would, I'm curious, like my interpretation is the hardest part about this was actually the rebuilding, the coming back and saying, okay, this doesn't have to mean the end, but it's, it's going to be a lot harder than just saying we're done. We're starting over with other people. Like that's a way harder path to go down. Yeah. And also we were together pretty young. Mm -hmm. Like we didn't have a lot of sexual experience when we got together. And I certainly didn't, which again, later in my non-monogamy journey was just a wonderful adventure for me. Um, but it's not anything in my experience or my education or my culturalization or socialization that I knew was possible. Um, so when I look back on it, it's like a gift that this hard thing happened, but as a result, my life opened up in so many ways and I wouldn't go back. Mm -hmm. Um, I think certainly we both regret the hurt that comes with that. And I always have trusted my husband except for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so so when he talked about going to the swinger club, I listened to it into the, in that context that this is a thing that he has been wanting to do. He couldn't figure out how to do it um, and include me. Yep. <laughs> uh, and this is a way. And let me see if this is something I can do. Um, and that seemed to work. And then as we went down the non-monogamy path and I realized that having my own dating life and him having his own dating life and maybe sometimes overlapping was what worked best for us, but that's getting a little bit further down the path. Um, yeah. 
So I, I don't think it would have, it can't work. They say you shouldn't try non-monogamy to fix your marriage. And I, I see that, but we still loved each other. We were still intimate with each other. We had a life together. And so these are not easy choices. And people might say, oh my gosh, how could you possibly have, have taken this path and you were forced into it? And, and people can, you know, think what they want, but I am not, a an idiot. <laughs> I thought this things through and I certainly did have options. I can certainly take care of myself if, if that was the decision that I came to. Um, but this has been one that I have not regretted. Yeah. yeah. And you, you're very clear about like, this is the choices I made. These are the choices mm-hmm. I made on my yeah. path. Yeah. I, I love to, Oh, I'm go, sorry. Go I didn't mean to talk over Uh Do your comment. I have one question in a minute. No, I, my comment is just, is just I think it's, the way you've described how you were able to process him bringing this to you after an infidelity, you know, within a year of that infidelity is, is a way that we haven't heard it. And actually I haven't even thought about it in the past. And so I really am grateful for that. And and what I sort of heard in that was he, he had this affair and what you sort of gleaned from that when he brought the conversation back up, wasn't he wants the refer was a way to replace me and going out swinging is a way to replace me. It's this is maybe a thing that, that he needs or, or really wants in his life. And he wants to do it together, but didn't have, it didn't have any context for how you could do that together or, or the skills to have that conversation to do it together. And so there was a, a, a mistake made a big one that, that caused a lot of hurt and mistrust, but that when he came back, you were able to sort of see through that to, Oh, this is something we can do together in a different way. And and I don't I guess did I kind of get that? Yeah, and we so the first one that the weekend that we went to the first swinger club, we actually went to two. There were <laughs> weirdly enough two with, you know, in an hour's drive of each other. <laughs> so the first night we went, we just played with each other. Yep. Like the step was we went to a room and they, you know, you had the blinds open or closed where people can watch or not watch. Uh, and I've written about this actually on medium. There's an article called my first yep. time at a swinger club, which lays it out sort of step-by-step. <laughs> step. So the first night we did not play with other people. I was, you know, a little bit nervous about the whole thing. I walked through this place and it's, uh, yeah. And so the next night, I was like, all right, well, I did that. I actually had sex in a room with the shade up with my husband. That's a step. And then the next night we went to a different club and we met a couple who were also new to this. We talked to them in the hot tub. They were like parents. We talked about kids. We talked about, you know, just general things that you would talk about sometimes, you know, at a PTA meeting. And we connected and we said, Hey, do you want to go to one of the rooms? And, um, I don't think they had done it before either. So we were both new to this and it was a nice experience and I don't think we ever saw them again, but, uh, I, I maybe I was a little bit cavalier on how I first introduced it. Uh, so it wasn't like we jumped immediately into bed. We saw them at one part in the club 
And then we said, Hey, maybe we'll see you later. We were on the dance floor and then we saw them in the hot tub and my husband and I like, Hey, that's that couple. Do we want to go talk to them and see if, you know, we hit it off or not. And so that was a multi hour Mm -hmm. process. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. No, I love that. I appreciate that. And I just, I think that is, I, I, like I said, it's not really a way we've heard it described before. And I think it's powerful that it's, the, the idea that we we don't know how to necessarily talk about the things we want or even the path to get there. And I hope that, you know, somebody listening right here is not, oh, well, I if I cheat and then bring it up, like this isn't the path. Like you're listening, you know there's a different way and you're building the tools and that's what we're hoping that, that people can take away from this. So I just, I appreciate that conversation, Natalie. So thank you. Well, thank you for, for listening. And like I said, it's not the easiest thing to talk about, but, um, it's a choice and I, you know, it's not the right choice for everybody, but it's worked for us. Totally. Well, and to, I think that like, it's so important to tell people and share that you have that choice. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it's getting more and more common. I think that when, if, if, and when an affair happens in a relationship, that there's more conversation around that rather than just ending the relationship. But it's still a slow change in our culture and society. And ultimately the decision is like right for everybody. Like the, the individual has to make the right decision for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have a really random question that's been sitting with me for like the last 20 minutes. I, I have to ask it and then I want to come back to moving forward. Um, you started this whole story with meeting your neighbors and, <laughs> and going down that road with like, that was the first like little bit bit of your journey are you still neighbors or has any of that like i'm just curious if that if that's if you've stayed in contact with them or if there was anything that ever happened with them again um nothing happened with them again we got pregnant within the next year and also they started a family and they ended up moving to a different part of town. Um, so no, nothing. We were still friends, yeah. but I don't think we did anything like that. Again. <laughs> well, we have them here today. Like to- <laughs> <laughs> I was just, that was just a burning question. I wanted to know, like, are you still neighbors? And have you talked about this in the 20 some years? Since then? So, um, yeah, it's just, we hosted, we hosted parties, just uh, like new year's parties. We were neighbors still friendly after that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Because uh, I can see there's the, a lot of potential for that to blow off that neighborly <laughs> relationship. And then you're kind of stuck living next to each other. So. <laughs> I love it. Um, but anyway, moving forward, I thank you, as Finn said, too, for covering that discussion around infidelity, around the opening up in, and your first swinging experiences so thoroughly. Um, I'd love to kind of move us along a little bit and talk about... so. How did the journey go for you? It sounds like you were in the swinging world for a while and then, and moving forward. So because, um, we were also raising a kid, we both had professional careers that kept us occupied. I traveled for work. We did not do a lot of swinging. Uh, And also with having a child and not having a lot of, like, we don't live near family that can really help out with that. Uh, so we had to navigate, swinging also with a child, um, that that was sort of intermittent. Um, and how did this happen? Oh, so my husband was deployed 
So he was going to be gone. This was about 2010 ish um, for almost a year. And he really encouraged me like he didn't want me to be by myself. And he had started dating about a year before he was deployed. He had said, Hey, I would like to, I've been reading about polyamory and I have some books for you to read like the ethical slut polyamory, um, open, I think was a book back then. And, and I was like, what is this polyamory thing? (laughs) Uh, and he said, well, you know, it's, we date separately. And when we were swinging, I always found it difficult, more difficult than he did when we would see a couple and he would say, Hey, how about this couple? Maybe we should talk to them. And he would connect more with the female part and I would not connect so much with the male part and talking to women. Um, that's not necessarily an uncommon thing that it was a lot easier for him. Um, and I was having a little harder time. I mean, couples dating couples, I have found is a lot harder than just dating on your own. So that was a big impediment to the swinging and it took a lot of work. He was the one that would send out the messages on the websites. I forget what the names of them were like swing lifestyle, or I don't even remember. And people would trade pictures and there'd be a picture, lovely pictures of the woman, like 17 pictures of this lovely woman. And one picture of the man with a baseball cap on, and I couldn't tell yeah. any. Taken with a razor phone from 30 feet away. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, ah, it's really hard to tell. So it was a bit of a chore. Uh, and certainly there were stories where we met up with people and one partner was more into it than the other. And you're living a full life. And it just became a lot of work. Uh, and so then when he proposed polyamory and there was a person that he wanted to date and we navigated that and I was like, I'm not really feeling like I need to date right now. I have a lot on my plate. And so he dated a bit before he was deployed. And then when he was deployed, I, like I said, he encouraged me to date and I was like, Oh, I don't know. I'm going to be like a single parent here. I've got my full-time job. But after a couple months, uh, I was like, well, I reached out to a friend of mine who I had met from the swinger community and we had been intimate together, like as part of a swinger thing when he was with another partner. Uh, and we were just very friendly. We had lunch together. I considered ourselves us to be just friends. And so we met up once and it was really weird. I can remember getting ready for this date uh, which I hadn't had a date in so many years because the swinging thing was, you know, meeting a couple Mm -hmm. and I'm getting ready for this date. And I'm like, do I wear like my racy underwear? You know, do I, what do I wear? I mean, I know this guy is my friend, but we're gonna do sexy things together. Uh, and I've got like a babysitter and I'm going out and I'm driving there and I'm getting all these feelings like of excitement. And it's just really weird because I haven't gone on a date and felt this anticipation in forever. It was really a new experience. And then when I got there, um, you know, I certainly knew him and I was comfortable with him and we were to get, we got together a couple times and then several months later, I went, I had to sort of force myself to go out cause I'm, you know, by myself 
and I'm not the most extroverted person. I have a hard time just like going to a club or a bar or anywhere by myself where I don't know anybody. So I went to a, a club where I had been before with my husband and I know, knew that I would know people. And for the first time in my life, I went home with somebody, uh, with a guy. And again, like completely outside my comfort zone, not a thing I had ever done before. Um, but we were dancing at this club and his, he said his friends had left and I had a car and I said, well, I could give you a ride home. Um, and yeah, that was, I had sex with somebody basically that I picked up at a bar and all the way home, I, in my head was going, Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Oh my God. I can't believe I did that. I did this thing and I'm driving home. I can't believe I did that like over and over again, but it was super liberating. Like these are things that people do in their twenties and like I'm in my forties doing this. It was crazy. Uh, like I didn't really know what I was doing, but part of me felt like I was a college kid. Uh, and I thought I would never have done this except for my husband introducing me to this concept. And I, yeah, it was just liberating and it was okay. And it was all like, I told him about it, that I did this thing and he was happy for me. And of course he felt relieved because he felt bad for leaving me all by myself. Um, and I just came into this fuller self, um, and realized like, like a bit of empowerment, I suppose, because I'm not a person who's comfortable making the first move. Um, and that's what I did at this club. I said, Oh, you need a ride. Ooh, I can give you a ride. And then when I was about to drop him off it, he's like, okay, thank you for the ride. And I said, well, I could come up if you want. I mean, these are words I had never uttered before in my life. <laughs> We get to his apartment and I'm basically, I'm the one making all the first moves and it was just crazy. Uh, and that maybe broke a seal a little bit on, I can do this. This is not a person that I knew from the swinger time or that's been a long time friend or that my husband is here with me. Here I am pursuing potential, uh, intimate relationships, se sexual relationships, maybe later some, um, more fulsome long-term relationships, which did end up happening. Um, but I felt really courageous and it might just sound silly, but I had never done anything like that. I will just say for myself, it doesn't sound silly. No, I, not I, at all. Like the, the, the experience you just walked through is like every step of that way would be a huge step for me as well. Like those are all huge mm -hmm. things to do, especially having never done them. So mm -hmm. I think it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I think that it is the fact that it felt liberating to you makes a hundred, like complete sense, a hundred percent sense. So, uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and it sounds like this was really the catalyst into more separate dating and separate experiences. Yeah, I would say so that sort of broke the seal. And then there was another relationship that started just a month or two before he came home. And then once he was home, he got into a new relationship pretty quickly. And I was 
a little like wistful that, you know, oh, that sounds so nice. They're in this like new relationship energy. Um, she's very lovely. She spends a lot of time at the house. It was, it was pretty comfortable and, and I wanted that, like they had a relationship. It wasn't just a swinging sex thing, but she would come over on the weekends and she was, um, studying for another degree and she would come for a quiet place or she would have breakfast with us in the morning, um, or help with chores around the house. It was, it was really nice dynamic. She had been poly before. So even though she was much younger than me, she had more poly experience, which was interesting. And I went on some dating sites and I eventually, I had some dates, uh, but nothing that really stuck stuck too much. And then a few months after he came home, I started dating someone that I ended up being in like a two year relationship with, which was my first poly relationship, I would say. Um, and he was married and his wife was also poly. And so that was kind of my big initial poly experience for myself. Like, wow, I'm really doing this. And this guy is actually poly. He's not just a single guy who's trying to figure out what to do until his next monogamous relationship, (laughs) which can certainly happen and has happened to me. Uh, and is just something I sort of accept as part of the polyamorous world. And I'm okay with that. I have some relationships that are long-term poly relationships and some that are, you know, more casual, but that relationship, I would say my first poly relationship was, um, about the end of 2011. So like 11 or 12 years ago, um, that I would say that, okay, now I'm really in poly and I'm dealing with my husband's metamor and I'm dealing with my boyfriend's metamor and, uh, my boyfriend, they had a kid, you know, so there's a lot going on and navigating all of that, which was a great learning experience, definitely ups and downs, but I learned a lot and communication so necessary. And I learned about how other people do their relationships and how they communicate. Um, and I was happy and I was hurt and I was fulfilled and I was wanting and all of the things. Yeah. And th- that just summarized the last 13 years, right? <laughs> yes. I, uh, I love too the, I, to maybe pick it a little bit, the code word of a great learning experience. And I think, <laughs> I think this is, I will say this is non monogamy speak for it was really fucking hard at times and, and i would i would i want to i want to talk about the flip side of that coin too because i know there is great beauty that comes out of that but what what are some of the things that that you personally came up against throughout this time that that were those learning those learning experiences well there were learning experiences with sort of the part with my husband and his poly relationships and how that affected me and then my poly relationships. So now we're not doing things always together. Mm-hmm. We're doing things separate, but we live together and we share things. Um, so there is overlap and his girlfriend is in the house a lot and sometimes we do events together. And so navigating that, I had this in my head that I was going to be the greatest metamorph ever, you know, I was going to connect with my partner's partners and wouldn't this be lovely? We would have this person in common. So we would already have this basis of commonality, which I learned you can't really assume 
because in in polyamory you end up being connected to metamors that you might not ever have been friends with in real life. I mean, that's okay because you are connecting with your, your V, the person that you have in common. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little naive to expect that you're automatically going to connect with their partner. You hope that you can at least be civil and be in the same room together at a minimum. But I had all these great aspirations, how we were just going to have this wonderful relationship and we were very different people. Um, and also you, I, you know, I got, I got to know my metamore at a certain point in time. There's not this, you know, history that we've developed. It's like, Hey, you're dating my husband. Um, let's have dinner. Let's have lunch. And it's hard to know at the beginning, all the things that are going on, mm-hmm. like you learn things that are going on in their marriage or their relationship, or that maybe the way they view polyamory is different than the way you view polyamory. And my first boyfriend's wife's view of polyamory, I concluded was more of an accommodation. This, that was how it started. And so she got a boyfriend because, well, damn, if he's going to date and I'm not going to date. And, and mm-hmm. it was not the I would say not the way I Mm -hmm. would do it and not the way my husband and I did it to uh, one up each other or it was hard to navigate and her communication style was different than mine. Um, But you find, you find commonalities, I think in any relationship and you, you try to hold on to those parts that we were both, we both mothers or that we had both gone through an experience together or my, at at the time, one of my parents was very sick and she was very comforting in that aspect of my life. I could, I could text her and talk to her when I was like in the hospital waiting room. And I think it was because it had nothing to do with my intimate relationship with her husband It was non-threatening. It was you know, no way that made her feel less than or inadequate or in competition or all the things that, that metamorphs sometimes feel just because you're sharing the same person. Mm -hmm. This was something separate. This was, um, you know, a family member that's not doing well and things that I'm going through and decisions, health decisions that I'm, I'm having to consider. And I, she was super supportive with that. And I was always, always grateful for that. Um, but the other part of the relationship was a lot thornier to, to navigate. Um, and she had a tendency to send me very long emails Mm -hmm. with a lot of things to parse through about her, her history, his history, and it was a bit of a bombardment. And I'm trying to keep my, I'm in like total NRE with her husband. Like he's my first, poly relationship. We're having so much sex all the time. It's so great. He is so different from me in so many ways. And we talk about everything under the sun and he exposes me to new music and to, we talk about books and we, I've never sexted before in my life. And we're just doing all these crazy, like sexting things during work time when I should be working. And we're just so into each other. It's kind of all consuming because it's my first time in this. And then I have this 
sort of splash of cold water in my face when I open my email account and some slight that I didn't even know happened, I'm being confronted with, and I'm not necessarily given a heads up by my boyfriend that this might be coming because he's, you know, trying to keep the peace and he doesn't want to get in the middle of it, which sometimes happens with people who are are hinges to, to relationships. So navigating all of that. And of course I talked to my husband about it because I live with him and he's the person that I talk to these things about. And I don't have a lot of people to talk to poly about polyamory with at this stage in my life. So my poly life is affecting him and he's being trying to be patient and say the right things. Um, but that's not optimal for your partner to have to deal with maybe some negativity or some work or challenges in your poly relationship. Certainly when my husband goes out on a date and he has a fight with his girlfriend and comes back in a really crappy mood, I feel that, well, that's not the way that I want to do polyamory. You're supposed to come back happy. (laughs) Um, So our separate relationships, (laughs) of course, affect each other, but I think that we also help each other through it. Many times he would say, your boyfriend is doing the best that he can give him a break. Yes. His wife seems to be piling on a bit. Just don't read the email right now. Maybe just wait a bit. And it's, it's definitely so great to have a sounding board right at your elbow mm-hmm. like that, which is if I was single and I was dating is probably something I would, you know, talk to a girlfriend ar- about, or we would talk about it over a drink, but I've got someone who lives with me that can see my moods and ups and downs and I can talk to about it. And that was so valuable having a partner that is in it with you, not a partner who is doing don't ask, don't tell Mm -hmm. who doesn't want to know anything about your relationships. And I think I would feel so much more alone, um, without that built in support system of a person that I live with. And as I've gone on my poly journey, I've have so many more people that I can talk to about my poly life, which is wonderful. I have girlfriends, I have friends, I have former lovers, I have just people in the poly and the kink community, which is great. But at the beginning, it was kind of like me and him and maybe a trusted friend or two. Yeah. Uh, And you don't want to pile on too much on your friends with things like that. Well, and on your partner, I think there's there's risk there. And and I know this is stuff that Emma and I have navigated is the challenges of... I was nodding a lot. When we if, were talking. <laughs> I, I mean, I think to your point though, early on, right, you, you're doing this, you maybe don't have the community, you don't have a support system. And so, yeah, Emma was mine, I was hers, and we were trying to figure a lot of this out. But when you're, when you do navigate the hard, it's, it is hard to see your partner hurting or even like you, you, you expressed like an example of maybe they came home from a date and you expected them to come home happy and maybe you were going to get to cuddle and they come home and they're like, I don't want to talk. I'm just pissed off. I'm going to bed. And you're like, well, what the fuck? Like, I thought maybe we could like watch a movie and they're like, I don't even want to be touched right now. I'm just going to go lay down. Not that we've experienced and, that. And- <laughs> Have you been spying on me? <laughs> yep, I, I have. <laughs> and so, like, but that that experience is you don't 
there's nobody that teaches you in your sex ed class in high school. What do you do in that situation? There's not a relationship school for my partner just had a fight with their partner and now they don't even want to talk to me, not because I did something, but just because they're so upset. And, and all you can do is just say, Oh, okay. I will be here when you're not upset anymore. And, and, and then hope that you don't get upset in the meantime. So you just keep missing each other, like (laughs) offsetting upsetness. Not that we've (laughs) ever done that either, but I'm just saying it could be a thing you might want to watch out for. Well, and I think it's so much, you know, this is a concept that can be, as you're talking, Finn, like it occurs to me, this is a concept that can be applied outside of relationships as like Mm -hmm. intimate relationships because I could have a fight with my mom with a friend with at work and being that same like if similar like activated not good space but we're also not taught how to navigate that but when it's an intimate partnership it's almost like just another layer on top of it that is hard for to navigate with your partner because of that added layer of connection in some ways or I don't know it's hard to describe but um it just it it makes it really really difficult (laughs) (laughs) everyone's just kind of like yep Uh (laughs) so maybe maybe now that we've acknowledged that that some of some of the challenges that they were growing experiences growing experiences (laughs) what and I yeah yeah I just remember I like took this leadership class one time and it just sounds hokey, but they would say, you know, as, as a leader, you have to challenge yourself, do things outside your comfort zone. And it, it's like a, a turtle who sheds their shell. It's like, it's really uncomfortable and they sort of grow out of it and then they grow a new shell, but the process of it is not pleasant but it's the only way that they can grow. And so I try to think of a lot of aspects of my life that way, including polyamory. And I don't, I mean, I, I try not to really regret any of the things like I regret hurting people, but the experiences always, I think, lead you to the next part of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just like, I think about, you know, my husband's infidelity. And if that had never happened, we would be just be going along this same path with the white picket fence. And my life would not have opened up and grown in so many aspects. So I feel that that, that friction that of my shell and me shedding that and growing into non-monogamy is ultimately a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how I, I try to look at it. Yeah. I love that. And I think for just to offer a piece that I know I personally struggle with and have had to do a lot of growing around is watching my partner, watching Emma go through the shell shedding and growing because I know it's painful. I can see it be painful. And for me, the act of watching somebody go through that pain is almost harder for me than doing it myself because it's not mine to go through and I don't have any control over it. I just, I get to be a witness to something really hard and I'm not good at that. And so I just offering that for anybody who's like, yeah, but that part's hard too. Like, yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> That's all I would say. Is that part's hard too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Especially um, for anyone who has the personality of wanting to fix it. Yeah. Well, luckily I don't have that. <laughs> 
So moving right along to the the flip side of all of these learning experiences is the the beautiful place that we land. And I'm I'm curious what what do you see for yourself as like what keeps you coming back? It was hard. You went through a lot of learning, growth, all of the things, but you kept coming back. So you were obviously getting something. With every new person I meet, I do feel like I grow. And I mean, I'm not going to lie, like having great sex with new people is really wonderful, especially when you were monogamous for, for so long. So part of that was me exploring sexuality, um, and sometimes exploring other kinkier things or things that, you know, I hadn't thought about, or maybe things that you don't do with your longtime partner. So there's definitely that exploration process and just dating people that give me a different perspective. Um, and, and being with people that also enjoy things that maybe my primary partner doesn't, which is a wonderful thing about having multiple friends or multiple partners is just having other people in your life. Um, you know, my husband is just not a sports person at all. And when I date somebody that likes to go to a baseball game or to a hockey game or likes to go cycling with me, like, I think that's amazing. Um, and, or likes to travel to a place that he doesn't want to go. And he's like, you have my blessing. And now that's the thing that I don't need to worry about (laughs) having to do. And your box is checked with somebody else. Come back happy and tell me all about it. And he is, um, genuine in the way he feels about that. Like, I am happy for you and tell me all the wonderful things you did and show me the pictures of you going to someplace cold in February because I don't like cold places. Um, and that, that works out well. Uh, I, and I think if I was still monogamous, all of the people and experiences and perspectives that I would just be missing out on, um, because I am, small C conservative, like changes hard for me. Um, I find a thing that I'm good at and I do that. Um, I, I'm working on being a more of a lifetime learner, but I sort of stick to the things that I know and that I'm comfortable with and do those. But non-monogamy has forced me out of my comfort zone in a good way. I think I would just be so much more static and closed off. So when people talk about opening up their relationship and you hear open so much, it's, it's on books, it's on websites and it sounds hokey, but I do feel like non-monogamy has opened me up, not just sexually, but just my perspective and my worldview and meeting people that I never would have and being in alternative communities because there's so much overlap with people who engage in non-monogamy in um, sex positive cultures and in alternative music cultures and in, you know, anything from LARPing to DJing to I'm going on this camping adventure that I probably never would have gone on if I hadn't gotten into this community. And I was not never a camper. And now I'm like, this is great. I'm out under the stars and I'm in nature and I'm putting my phone away for a while. And so all the, all these things that are just not necessarily sex related that, you know, have opened me up or, or a friend of mine who, 
a, a former partner of mine who just likes a certain kind of literature that I never read and introduced me to that. So I, there, my life is just so much fuller. That's why I think, because I can say yes to trying things and keep exploring. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. I can think you kind of answered this question already, but I'm curious, like, do you anticipate any changes? Do you anticipate or what you, what direction you want to keep going uh, or move forward with, within your relationships? So a couple years ago, well, during the pandemic situationally, um, my husband's girlfriend moved in with us because of COVID reasons. Um, and right now, a different girlfriend lives with him and this, and so the three of us live together as we're the, the arms of the V and he's the hinge. And I am now in this household, which I find to be so nurturing and familial and supportive. And I never thought I would live with one of my husband's partners. Like, that was never on the table. And that started because of COVID just from bubbling in and, you know, the circumstances. And then, then it became a choice with another partner after a long trial period. And it has worked out amazingly. And I never anticipated that. And I, I look forward to our, this is just, I know it sounds silly. Um, but I look forward to our just mundane things we do together, like having meals together or watching our favorite show together. And we do a lot of things together just because our interests overlap, but not completely because there are things that they do that they're more interested in, which is great because I want them to have their own stuff. Um, but we travel together, uh, we cook together and, and I am by nature kind of a competitive person. The field that I worked in was very competitive and I'm a goal achiever and type A and all of that. But I can live with my husband's girlfriend who lives down the hall and he has sex with her and they do kinky things and all of this stuff that you would think would be triggering and would invoke jealousy. And she's much younger than me and pretty and very smart, but I... I love her. I mean, and I feel like sometimes we're sisters. Sometimes I'm more of a maternal figure. Sometimes we're just friends who go thrifting together or make a cake together. There are things that she knows a lot more about than I do and some things that I can help her with. It's just a relationship that I, I never anticipated. Um, it's not if, like you say, when you're growing up, there are no Disney stories about the prince, the princess, and the prince's girlfriend living together in the castle. Like, no, that's not a thing. But learning to be open got me to this place, and it took a long time. And when I think about her not being with us, I like my heart breaks because she's just part of our, our world and our, our home. Mm -hmm. So in the morning when we come down and have breakfast together and I say, good morning, family. I, I mean that like, this is my family. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that 
you know, it's something that you would never have anticipated and yet you're here and it's beautiful and fulfilling. And it sounds like I'm reading into this a little bit, but there's, there's been care with all of you in making that transition and that you are each putting in the work in the separate relationships as well as the relationship as a whole of living together. And when, yes. And when we talked about the journey and the challenges with other relationships, that's what all, that's what got me here. Mm -hmm. This relationship with the three of us living together would never have happened 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. This is learning and growing and false starts and things that didn't work out has come to a place where we discuss what our expectations are. We discuss what our responsibilities are. We check in with each other. Um, but also as much as you can do that, people just have to mesh. So I also think we should give each other some leeway and forgiveness and grace when it doesn't work. I mean, (laughs) that's okay. If, if you try something and it doesn't work and people move on, doesn't mean that you failed. I mean, what does Dan Savage say? Um, you know, you're married for your whole life and you win when one of the partners died because you stayed together your whole life. Well, you can have fulfilling relationships that are good for a month, a year, and then they're not good anymore, but it's okay to have lived in them and, enjoyed the good part and not that breakups are ever fun, but you can still cherish the good parts and say, okay, well that didn't end up lasting longer than it did, but that's okay. Um, so I think we should like in non-monogamy, not beat ourselves up about that. And in monogamy too, you can be married and happy in a monogamous relationship for a time. And then for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. And okay, that's, that's not means you failed necessarily. That relationship lasted as long as it was good for both of you. Um, and then it wasn't good anymore. And hopefully you were able to get out of a situation that, you know, didn't damage you too much, but we do the best we can. Yeah. Well, and two, along the way of, let's say, approaching quote unquote failure, you, you're learning, you're growing. And the next time you do it, you have a different a different shell on your back that you can do it differently the next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really appreciate everything you shared today, Natalie. And, um, just, I know we could dig into something. Yeah. Much more. I mean, we could, we, maybe we have to have you back perhaps. <laughs> um, I also wanted to point out the missed opportunity for all those fairy tales. If you have a castle, why can't, there's so much room in your castle to have <laughs> the prince, the prince's girlfriend, the prince's boyfriend, the the princess's partners, like, why not? You've got a whole fucking castle <laughs> and a dungeon built in just in case kink is part of it. So I mean, I haven't even told you about how my husband built a house that my boyfriend and his wife ended up moving into and they still live there now. So like we are very interconnected, our our local polycule. It's it's a it's a wonderful place to be. Yeah. And I'm glad I, I live in it. <laughs> And we, we just talked about, we have a whole nother episode's worth of stuff to talk about. So <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, thank you so much. Before we do let you go, please plug your work a little bit more, what people can expect to find there, and we'll hopefully send some some readers your way. 
That would be great. I, I really like the engagement and what, what people think of my writings. During the pandemic, I started writing for Medium. So if you go to medium.com and I'm at Natalie Davis Adventures and you can find all my stories, I am working on my own poly memoir. Uh, but the things in medium are things that are happening more currently. And the memoir is a lot about the journey that I talked to you about, about how I started from being monogamous and ended up being swinger, non-monogamous poly. And, um, the idea is just to let people know that this is not just something like you say that people on the fringes do we are normalizing this. The sort of the last frontier is the suburbs where people are doing this, maybe behind closed doors and living just regular lives and going to work and raising their kids and being responsible adults, but also exploring a multitude of loving relationships. And I think if people see that this can work. And yes, there's ups and downs, just like there are in monogamy because relationships are complicated. But for many of us, the benefits and how it opens your world um, is just glorious and something that I just want people to know that they have a choice to do. And you don't have to start when you're, you're 18. You can you know, start when you're 45 uh, and it's still just, just be wonderful. And so I'm with you in this normalizing non-monogamy. This is uh, a great journey. And I I hope that more people get on the path uh, if they feel that that's something that they want to explore. I love it. And links to everything you, uh, all of your work will be in the show notes. So people don't have to write it all down frantically while (laughs) while they're driving or whatever they're doing. So yeah, just wanted to make that clear. Yes. And is there anything else that you wanted to share and get out there before we let you go? I guess not for people to know that, yeah, I know it's hard because it's different. Um, But if your heart tells you that this is something that you would like to try, uh, even if you're in a monogamous relationship, maybe just broach it. Maybe give your partner an article to read I wouldn't maybe start with a book, um, but have a conversation. If this is something that's important to you or something that you'd like to try, it could take weeks or months or even years to embark on the journey, but you might regret it if, if you don't at least look and see what's out there. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. And as we said, I know we could keep talking a lot more. So hopefully there'll be another conversation, but I would love that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much for everything that you shared and uh, for all of the work that you're doing and putting out there as well. Uh, yeah. Anything else? I feel very satiated. So thank you, <laughs> Natalie, for, for everything. And, and I'm only satiated till the next conversation to be clear, because I'm excited for that one as well. So, well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Um, I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. I mean, I listened to the podcast, but, uh, you guys are, are great at making me feel comfortable and I've really much very much enjoyed talking to you. Well, thank you. We try to keep everybody on their toes. (laughs) 
<laughs> and please give your husband and partner and metamors uh, all the people our, our gratitude for for yeah your ability to share on their behalf. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a fantastic afternoon, and we will talk soon. Okay. Thanks. And we're back. Thank you, Natalie, for everything that you shared and for just the vulnerable conversation and for all of the work that you do. We had such a great time talking. And a reminder, links to Natalie's work are in the show notes. Just go to your podcast player or our website to find them. Normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Just in case you can't find that. Click on the podcast tab. (laughs) There you'll actually find podcast show notes for every episode we've published. Including photos of guests and all of the links to all of the resources that have ever been mentioned. Yes. So thank you again, Natalie. And a quick reminder, our virtual meet and greet for September is going to be on September 20th. We're excited about this, super excited about this. You can sign up on our website under the events tab. Next week, we've got an incredible conversation with Shanae. Shanae is... Again, one of the most amazing people we've met through the podcast. We met her in person at Southwest Love Fest. She does incredible, powerful work. You can you can look up Shanae Kendall Jackson in the meantime if you would like to learn a little bit more. But next week, we dig into all the juicy relationship stuff and get you some more resources. And it's amazing. And it's amazing. So we will see everybody in a week. And until then, we hope you enjoy the last little bits of summer. You got all your kids off to school. Maybe you're off to school. Who knows? Maybe you just drove off into the woods to get away for a while. (laughs) I don't know. But we hope you have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.